calling these Gemini killings in the papers? You must get them to do that, Lieutenant. It's important. The Gemini is dead. No, I am not! I'm alive! I go on! I breathe! Look at me! Look at me! And tell me what you see! I did it. Did I do it right? Did it all by yourself, Will? You act like you just uh, <laughs> successfully potty trained yourself. <laughs> well, we're in the throes of that right now. Anyway. Well, it's never too late to learn. That's right. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back once again to podcast part three, the part three podcast. I am Sam. And I am Will. Spooky threequel uh, October continues. This week, we're watching... Uh, the Exorcist 3, uh, a, a movie that's maybe not as good as Toy Story 3, but definitely better than Hellraiser 3. So oh, we yeah. We split the difference a little bit. <laughs> Whole lot better than Hellraiser 3, for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, this is another, um, you know, one of these movies like Day of the Dead. Uh, you know, it's it's always been around. It's always been out there. But it's uh, definitely gotten more of a reappraisal in recent years. I was literally watching Shudder is doing their top 100 scariest movie moments of all time. And this one was in the top 20. Wow, so, really? In terms of moments. I don't know if they right. mean the movie, movie on yeah, mass, yeah. but they mean that hallway scene. That hallway scene's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's a strange movie, but then again, it's a very strange franchise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very odd. Uh, you know, uh, all right, uh, again, this is like talking about Jaws, like, what was there to say about The Exorcist? You know, it's the most important horror movie of all time, you know. One of the most successful horror movies of all time. Hugely uh, influential, sure. <laughs> it holds up really well, uh, definitely a pinnacle of 70s filmmaking. I mean, what, what's more, what more is there to say? Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, all about the uh, faith versus reason, good versus evil. You know, uh, uh, Rumination on despair and grief you know yeah there's a there's a lot in it and it's um and it's you know it's based on a on a best-selling novel like <laughs> it's it's uh, very different yeah. than your average horror movie today and certainly in terms of your average big uh big blockbuster horror movie today yeah i mean it and even different than like what would be called an elevated horror movie too um because the exorcist really plays more like a drama than it does a horror movie, per yeah. se. Maybe like an Ari Aster type movie now. Part of that is it is so influential. Much like you can't make a, a boxing movie and not get compared to Rocky. You can't right. make a shark movie and get compared to Jaws. If every movie about exorcisms that has come since The Exorcist is must stand in comparison to The Exorcist. Well, right, and always, like, has either, is either in reaction to or makes some sort of point about it. Like in um, Constantine, the Keanu Reeves movie. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, like, that that opening scene is an exorcism scene, and it just takes the piss out of it, as it's just sort of like this dude's mundane job. But it yeah. definitely cribs moments and, and, and sequences from The Exorcist. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a straight-up, you know, pazuzu style demon possessing yeah. a girl yeah. and then you have like oh, there's so many there's so many like shitty cheap exorcism movies because it's yeah. very a very easy concept to do because it's two or three people lying around a bed <laughs> and then you know there's found footage ones like the last exorcism there's exorcism of emily rose right. there's the right where the priest is possessed whoa uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I could go on and on. It's but, but but one thing we do have to talk about, which came out a month after this movie, is Repossessed. Have you ever seen this? Have you seen this oh, movie? Oh oh oh! With Linda Blair, came out a month after Exorcist Three. Yes, yeah. the Leslie Nielsen, Nielsen Linda Blair movie that is like a parody sequel of The Exorcist. Yes, I I know of it. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's on DVD. Uh, so. It is. Uh, I mean, it's it it's what you. It, that description is exactly what you'd expect. It's a Zucker Brothers style, like throw every joke at the wall and see what sticks. But it's very funny because it plays like a legacy sequel to The Exorcist, just like this one does. <laughs> at some time, I guess we're going to, we, we're always dragging our heels getting to the comedy part threes because comedy <laughs> sequels can be just brutal to watch. But at some point, I guess when we'll, when we get to like Naked Gun 33 and a, a third, we'll, we'll talk about like, 
that like 10 year window that was like <laughs> Leslie Nielsen was just the biggest comedy force on the planet. Right. And doing parodies of every big movie, it seemed like. Yeah. There's a fugitive parody. There's the Hot Shots movies. There's the Naked Gun. And Spy Hard. And, Spy, yes, uh, Spy Hard. Uh <laughs> Not a parody, but he did Mr. Magoo. Right. Uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> God. What a what a career, like, what a, what a little renaissance he had. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so The Exorcist comes out in 1973. Tremendous hit. Uh, thanks to, you know, an amazing cast and the direction of a uh, celebrated crazy person, William Friedkin, <laughs> and uh, the writer, who is also the author, William Peter Blatty. They they made a seat, they made, Exorcist 2 came out in 77, and that follows Linda Blair's character. Right. And that was directed by John Borman. Also a celebrated crazy person. Also a celebrated crazy person, but a very different celebrated crazy person who did not like The Exorcist. <laughs> and that movie is boring it is, it is a dull very, movie. it's really boring yeah not a lot happens and linda and there's like this weird relationship between linda blair and her psychiatrist or priest Played by richard burton who yeah. looks bored <laughs> and uh uh they bring back max von Sydow for flashbacks and james a young james earl jones yeah. is kicking james around earl jones is in it louise fletcher is in it from right. one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's just it's not an interesting story because it's the, the the original Exorcist is a very contained uh, tale. It centers yeah. <laughs> on this one home and this one little girl, and it's the characters around her, the priests, the detective, her mother, uh, and the Exorcist Two: The Heretic is all over the place, literally <laughs> and figuratively, and it's it just doesn't work as a movie. No, no, it bounces around and it tries to expand the lore of the demon that possessed Reagan and, and you, there's a big thing with locusts I remember. And it's, uh, it's, it's all over the place. It's not particularly scary. It's just very boring. No, it's, it does not, it has, it has none of the effectiveness of the first or the third movie in yeah. any way, shape or form. Yeah. I guess before we get into the exorcist three, uh, I'm curious, when did you first see the exorcist? Um, I saw, I first saw the exorcist the summer, uh, is like summer 1996. So I think I, I had either, I was about to turn 12, um, and, or 97. Yeah. So I was about to turn 13. Um, and I had read the book and then I saw the movie. I taped the movie actually on a Joe Bob's Brig, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, thing off of TNT. Um, oh, all right. So, he, so yeah, talk, he, and that'll make it easier. Cause if he comes in to just sort of talk you down every few <laughs> minutes. You know. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's an intense watch at any age, but that one was pretty memorable. Um, my mom back in the seventies was, uh, before she became an actress, she was a nurse um and lived in georgetown and was actually a nurse in georgetown but did acting gigs on the side and is an extra in a bar scene or a party scene in the original exorcist um and or something like that yeah and um so she was she was a nurse and she had to she was working in the uh, working with hospice patients or had to talk with a, a hospice patient who was a nun, an old nun, and she just kind of was talking, being like, this is what I did today. I was on this this movie. Ha ha, isn't that fun? And then <laughs> the nun was like, well, I know the priest who did the original exorcism because the, the book is based on a, on a real case um, uh, that happened in Georgetown. Um, and so <laughs> my mom, so it's just a funny exorcist story the, in the, my no, family. Your, your, your mom floats in and out of uh, Hollywood lore <laughs> she's she's been uh she's been in a but she's in uh independence day she's in uh had her scenes cut from con air but she's in yes con she, air. she was her scenes were removed from con air and uh slc punk is the uh the oh, big one right, where yes. devin sawa yells at her oh uh, yeah and a <laughs> librarian in high school musical that's right she she tells everyone to shush in uh high school oh, musical so joyce cohen I, we, love, we love her she's a treasure <laughs> Uh, yeah, I definitely, I think I saw it in high school and it did, it's, it's, it scares you. Cause it's also, it's built up. 
It's built right. up as the scariest movie of all time. Like people talk about like that in The Shining, the yeah. scariest movies of all time. Well, and and when the movie came out, there were all these news reports of like people like fainting in the theater during screenings and stuff. So it was all like it has it's one of those like movies that has this reputation of like oh it's dangerous oh yeah. don't watch it they um yeah. and then in like 99 or 2000 is when i think i saw it around when they re-released it in theaters with the right. version you've never seen <laughs> right and so what was your re- for reaction when you first saw it did you see it in theaters when it was released or did no, you see it no on i, home I didn't uh i saw i think i rented it afterwards and it was one of the first movies i owned on dvd and yeah, it's scary. The, the 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 demon face sticks with you. The the uh, the head spinning sticks with you. It's just an unsettling movie because it's it's got elements of like a haunted house movie and it's yeah. a murder mystery. There's a lot going on, and you know the, they do a really good job of like creating an atmosphere. Like I don't think you mentioned Georgetown. I don't think they give the the first of the third movies get enough credit for how well they use Georgetown as a location. Yeah, it definitely makes it feel like a real place and not just sort of like random any city. It's like, no, this is like a real place where people live, you know? Yeah, and you know, it's it's right, the Georgetown University is a Jesuit university, so right. there's sort of priests and religious imagery everywhere throughout the first and the third movie. And I think yeah. one of the things that doesn't work about the second movie is it gets away from that. And also the second movie feels aggressively 70s oh, in yeah. a way that the, the that the first one doesn't feel quite so dated. Yeah, well, and also the, the part of, I think, what makes that first movie work so well is the all the tests and the the all the tests and the medical stuff that she has to go under are almost scarier than a lot of the demonic possession stuff. Oh, you know? yeah. And that that's kind of an element that's lost in Exorcist 2 and a lot of the other Exorcist exorcism movies. <laughs> yeah, well, Exorcist <laughs> you know? 2 is also, like, Linda Blair's older in that, and the movie, like, is trying really hard to kind of sexualize her. Yeah, And that just makes creepy. it, like, re- yeah, uncomfortable. It's, yeah, it's very Considering creepy. how that she is how the character is treated and what she goes through in the first movie. Yeah, exactly. So William Peter Blatty wrote the original Exorcist novel uh, after he, uh, he'd written a few novels and he was a screenwriter. He wrote a lot of Blake Edwards movies. Yeah. Uh, and the original Exorcist, like you said, was a huge bestseller. And um, just think, uh, none of this would have been possible without Groucho Marx. Yeah, you were you were saying that in text and I, I don't know this story. I you don't know this. this. no. William Peter Blatty, he'd been like a reporter. He won 10 grand on You Bet Your Life. And that allowed him to no longer have to work full time and was able to just spend his time writing novels. And (laughs) and a few years after that, he wrote The Exorcist. Holy shit, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And he and, and Groucho remained friends for the rest of Groucho's life. There was a moment when things were so tough on the set of The First Exorcist that, you know, the, when Ellen Burstyn opens the door and Max von Sydow's there, he was going to, he called up Groucho and was almost had him come over and just stand there and surprise <laughs> everyone. But it didn't work out. But uh, yeah, Groucho Marx. Wow. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he gave us, he gave William Peter Blatty the opportunity to write The Exorcist. So... <laughs> My God, it's a trailblazer wow. in more ways than one. That's amazing. I didn't. I didn't know that. That's, yeah, that's cool. No, I wasn't just making that up. No, no, I, I no, I know you weren't. I, but that's that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that story. William Peter Blatty didn't really want to be involved in any sequels, but then he got this idea for this uh, sequel called Legion, which would focus on Kinderman, the detective, who's not a huge part in the first movie. He's played by Lee J. Cobb. Uh, but he's a big part of the book. The book. Yeah. And uh, it focused on him. Uh, and he he and William William Friedkin couldn't see eye to eye on this. So Friedkin stepped away. And then it kind of went into development hell for a while. And he ultimately turned his script into a novel, the novel Legion. Right. And that became a huge bestseller. And that kind of gave it life in the late 80s to become a movie again. And he wrote the script. And initially... Uh, approached John Carpenter to direct. Yeah, I had read this. Uh, and uh, a Carpenter was in, uh, you know, thought about it and he liked the script, but ultimately he and Blatty didn't see eye to eye on the ending. And I think Carpenter said, like, it was clear that Blatty just wanted to direct this himself. Yeah. 
Because he had directed, like, one movie before this, right? Yeah, it's or called wrote, uh, wrote, Twinkle, wrote. Twinkle, Kill, Killer Kane, also known <laughs> as The Ninth Configuration. And it has right. a few actors that come back for this, like Scott Wilson is, I think, one of the right. leads in that. And uh, Ed Flanders and Jason Miller are all in right. that, and they come yeah. back for this. Jason Miller didn't come back for this, and then he did. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of it came out. Uh, I don't remember it coming out. Uh, I didn't know. I was way too young, and I didn't know anything about The Exorcist at the time. And I think it was more successful than Exorcist 2, but it just kind of came out went on its way. I think it was like mixed reviews. And then over time, I think just because nothing has really measured up to The Exorcist, because <laughs> there have been two prequels and the original second movie, and they've, you know, it's, it's, the original just looms so large. I think this one's gotten an appreciation as being the best of the rest, if you will. Right, yeah. By a wide margin, in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, I'm not entirely certain when the reappraisal kind of started. Um, is it kind of like, do you think it's because of like the lore of it, of having like this lost alternative cut that like, you know, and I, studio meddling and whatnot. And I think I that's know. part of it. And it has a very famous jump scare, right. like, Oh, there's this really scary moment in this movie, but then, Hey, the rest of the movie is pretty interesting too. And I don't know. I think it's just, it, uh, you know, with the dawn of the internet, I think, you know, all the people that were like, hey, I really like Exorcist 3 found each other. Right. <laughs> and it sort of lifted, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Uh, and and here we are. Like, it got, and then they finally assembled, like, a work print of the original version. So now you can see what changed in the reshoots. The movie was famously uh, heavily reshot by the studio uh, to because the original version of The Exorcist 3 did not feature an exorcism in right. any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, so they, they insisted that that be put in. So that's why in the film there's this runner of this priest who seems like he's off in his own little movie because he, is, he is played by Nicole Williamson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it definitely, it feels like another movie sort of collides with this movie for a climax. However, reading, I haven't seen the alternate cut, but reading about it, the, the ending of this movie originally was like almost hilariously anticlimactic. <laughs> I have the Shout Factory uh, special edition and I've seen it. Um, yeah, it's ridiculously. And the original <laughs> climax of the movie was the stuff with the old lady at the Kinderman house where she, right. the, he, uh, the Gemini killer possesses one of the catatonics and goes to his house to try to kill his daughter and they wrestle around and fight for a bit. And then in the original cut, because you see this in the in the theatrical version, he goes back to the hospital and is basically going to shoot uh, Damien Karras and free him. In the original the, uh, work print, in the original, in Blatty's original ending, he just does shoot him and the movie's over. That's it. Yeah. And it's... I mean, I it's it's not uh, it's not wedging in an exorcism, but it is very very anticlimactic. Yeah, I mean, and it's weird because the whole it like almost undercuts you know Kinderman's arc too, because the whole thing is about him wrestling with faith, faith you know, versus logic and reason and sort of and grief and all this stuff. And if he just goes and kills the guy. It's like, well, did he actually wrestle with this? Yeah, problem? and I think if he's trying to do it to, like, save Damien Karras, you also lose something because in the original version, Jason Miller wasn't there from right. the original movie. They brought him back for the reshoots. So in the original, basically the, the, the hook is that the Gemini killer has possessed the body of Damien Karras and is slowly sort of regrowing his brain, and he's now able to possess people to go out and kill and, you know, uh, seek revenge while also tormenting Damien Karras' body. Uh, and in the theatrical version, Damien Karras looks like Jason Miller. Right. But the Gemini killer looks like Brad Dourif. So when the when the Gemini killer's in control for good chunks of it, we see Brad Dourif uh, talking. And, like, and it's him in the straitjacket and him interacting with George C. Scott. In the original work print... It's just Brad Dourif, and they establish at the beginning that when you, that Damien Karras in this sequel looks like Brad Dourif. Oh, like, there's a photo in the bar yeah. of, like, Father Dyer and some other priests, and Brad Dourif dressed like a priest. 
and he's supposed to be Damien Karras. So you never see the Gemini Killer. You're just seeing Karras pl- as played by Brad Dourif. So you don't have that direct visual connection to the original movie. Yeah, this is this is one of those moments where I think the studio notes are kind of right on some level. Because I think that idea is sort of confusing, and I like the way that the the, the theatrical version plays with the, like the surreal how surreal that is and how it keeps switching between Jason Miller and and Brad Dourif and how like unsettled that makes Kinderman too yeah. and it makes the movie really like off kilter and weird and uh I think it works better um in some ways I think I agree actually the exorcism itself and the stuff with Father Morning is kind of superfluous right. but I think having Jason Miller in there is an asset cuz he gives a really good performance yeah. and he's you know, such an important character to the original movie. And just like right up to the end in this one, he, you know, it's also gives Karis as a character, just a little bit of agency in this. Right. Right. And it's, it's nice when he like comes out, comes to from the possession and is like, shoot me, shoot me now. Like, you know, all that stuff works. It's just the exorcism stuff feels, and I get where the studio noted, where it's coming from because it's like this movie really does need like a climax because it's such a slow burn for so long that it needs something but uh i don't know if the uh random exorcist shows up and like <laughs> like his head explodes against the the ceiling yeah, I, like... i'm sorry will i forgot there was like a lot, actually a good amount of skin peeling in this movie i after last week i i know that that was probably that, not a welcome sight it deeply upsets me seeing skinned people on screen yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, but, like, overall, the movie, it's tonally, there is a lot of The Exorcist in there, but it's also just, like, it's a very different movie with a very dark sense of humor and just some crazy visuals throughout. Well, and, and like, the sense of humor was something that I just, since I had never seen this movie, it was something I didn't expect. Like, like when the when Kinderman and Dyer are, like, going to the movie and they're, like, joking and, like... Yeah, they like, have, like, Kinderman have, and Dyer have this wonderful banter through the yeah, first act. Yeah, I was like, this is great. And it, like, sets them up as friends. Like, they feel like real, genuine people, which movies like this don't usually have. I, I, I really wish I was back in high school theater so I could do the carp monologue. <laughs> Yes, like that's like they feel like genuine, genuine people who are really good friends. Um, and I and, think that, and I, I think that really elevates like this feeling like a lived-in world. Yeah. It's like a little off. It's a little weird, but I think that like the Georgetown setting, because you go to the bar and you see Larry King is there, right? Uh, yeah, with, yeah. with C. Everett Coop. You know, <laughs> you forget that this is like a world like where you have the intersection of like faith and political power, and right. you know, it reminded me of the Omen in a sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah. then like the scene with Dyer and um, uh, Lee Richardson as the head priest, the president <laughs> of Georgetown, where they're like, "It's my, it's a wonderful life. It's my favorite movie." And it's like, "Do you have a favorite movie?" The Fly. <laughs> Just the, like, burnt-out <laughs> yeah. Jesuit president of Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, no, I mean, there's so much that uh, that just works, especially in the first, like, the first act. Yeah, um, and then, but then like, when the murders start, it, like, it just shakes everyone. Right. One of my favorite things about this is this tonal shift, like, there's the first murder of the little boy, there's the murder of the priest, and by the time you're at, like, the second murder and then Father Dyer's murder... Well, obviously, like, George C. Scott is a character who is just so beaten down by the world right. and doesn't really have any faith, and he's so, like, bitter and broken. Like, he's not a mean person. He's not a cruel person, but he is on the verge of complete collapse. Yeah. But what I love is his other detectives are just so shook by all of this. They yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. And 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 he he's even, like, shook by it on some level. Um and it's making him become like more unhinged. Yeah. And and like the dream sequences are so wild and so strange. And, oh yeah, and, yeah. The, and very the train, like, the, disturbing. The train sequence. <laughs> yeah, I was I was really I I was looking forward to your reaction to that because it is just this. It's like a purgatory essentially, and it's yeah. full of like angels, but it's essentially like Grand Central Station. It's it's this incre- It's so hard to describe. And yeah, it's it, nothing like what you see in the first Exorcist. It's so weird and funny and creepy all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like 
it feels like a real dream. Um, and it, it's one of the... I don't think this movie is particularly well-directed, but there are a couple sequences where it's like, oh, Blatty brought it. He knew what he was doing, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's one of those things. Obviously, he worked with good, the right people to help him. Like, it's not a super flashy movie visually. No. Uh, but when it works, it's well, it's, it's some brilliant editing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the performances are great. I think he got everything he needed out of it. It would have been interesting to see how John Carpenter would have handled it. Right. I think that that ultimately, I think I, I really liked this movie. I, I, I want to say like, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, but I think ultimately it feels like it feels almost too heady in a way, kind of like what we were talking about with the first Hellraiser, where it's very clearly like an author trying to wrestle a bunch of really big ideas into two hours um, and where I think Carpenter would have sort of had more of a propulsion to the movie. I feel like this movie kind of flatlines for a good chunk of it. It's, um, it, it would be an interesting double bill with Prince of Darkness. Sure, yeah. Because yeah, Prince yeah, of yeah. Darkness is another movie that on its surface is very slow, but also, like, really can get under your skin the more you watch it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's... And I think John Carpenter would have known how to make like scenes sort of with momentum and movement like not the scenes aren't bad i, I like i it, nothing's bad here it's just it just feels like it kind of like runs in place for a bit and i think carpenter would have made like the investigation a little more exciting um and just you know i think just would have kept things moving a little bit yeah a sure a bit more i don't know because that's like it's it's sometimes you know your writerly ambition exceeds your visual style right yeah absolutely and i mean i think um, but it, you know, I, I say that and I think all the individual scenes are good and, and the things that are being discussed in them are interesting, but a lot of it is just very talky and heady, you know. Well, the Exorcist franchise is so interesting because really there are two creative voices behind all of its thematic stuff, and that's William Friedkin and and especially William Peter Blatty because he created the whole thing. Right. Uh, and anytime you take Blatty out of it, it just becomes like the base like we're doing a movie about the exorcism and we're gonna right. do all the, the the jump scares you got from the first movie but when it's just blatty it is very heady ruminations on faith and and <laughs> yeah. you know maybe at the expense of some of the effectiveness of the first one yeah I, I think so i think what makes the the original exorcist sort of the lightning in the bottle is freaking cynicism mixed with blatty's more faith-minded sensibilities you know yeah. i think that that makes the movie really effective is those polarizing identities and stuff yeah and obviously because friedkin dropped out of this one uh in the late 70s I, those two guys only probably had enough mileage in their relationship to make one movie, <laughs> one movie. together <laughs> yeah. and then the rest of their relationship can just be them like bantering about that one movie they made. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly well, it's, um, it's 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 most apparent in the two different endings to the original Exorcist because the theatrical ending is a little darker, or at least right. tonally feels darker, and then the version you've never seen ending, which they call the director's cut now, but it's really the writer's cut. Right, right. Uh, is uh, Kinderman and Dyer striking up a friendship and right. sort of this implication that what Karis did wasn't a defeat. It's Blatty never wanted it to seem like evil one. Right. Whereas Friedkin, I don't know if he specifically wanted to say Evil One, but he's more indifferent to that. And it's been a while since I've actually seen the original Exorcist, but the ending to that movie is more character-focused, not sort of the battle between good and evil. It's Karis is sacrificing himself for this girl. It's not really about anything else. It's Karis and, is and, sacrificing and himself in the process for the girl. regaining his faith. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's about it's really what is what Karis is doing. It's not yeah. about the the larger, you know, capital G versus capital E. Evil. Which in the context of uh the Exorcist adding Jason Miller to Exorcist 3 is great because it's to, when you find out that this guy who made this incredible sacrifice and act right. of faith and love is now possessed by Pazuzu has <laughs> helped a serial killer take over his body to commit horrible acts right. of, in revenge for the exorcism and just because the serial killer, you know, wants wants his name back in the papers. 
to yeah. to save him is like that gives it some stakes. It makes it a right. very noble thing. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, one of the the one of the best scenes in this movie is when Brad Dourif explains how he was able to possess the like and explain sort of like the how he was able to get into the dead body and make yeah. it it was like i was like that was cool as father Karras was slipping out <laughs> i was I being slipped, slipped in. in yeah uh, we we haven't talked about brad duroff is, is incredible in this movie i, I mean they are, like yeah he's everyone's great, great in it everyone's but great. it is he is so good Yes, he's really Remember good. when we did Batman Forever, we talked about how he was considered for the Joker and for the Scarecrow? Yes, yeah. Fucking, this would have been right around then. Yeah. You, you blew it, Warner Brothers. <laughs> God, uh, yeah, he's he's really good in this movie. And, I mean, he's, you know, he's mostly just in a straitjacket monologuing. But he, like, hams it up. He gets it to the point where he's hamming it up, but not so much that he's, like, eating the scenery. No, You know, no. he, like, walks right up to that line. So it's, like creepy but kind of funny but it, it's really it's something it's and he's something. playing off of george c scott who's like it he's not humorless but his sense of humor is very dry yes and george c this era of george c scott is one of my favorites where he's oh, just he's grumpy so cr- all the he time so, so i mean george c scott is one of those great mid-20th century hollywood actors that was born old yeah. like lloyd bridges <laughs> uh and uh he was 62 in this yeah. like like yeah. isn't like Tom Cruise is sixty now, just to put it in comparison. <laughs> but he's great in this because he's 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 gruff and he's got, like he's got a loving family. Yeah. Uh, and he's you know he's he's got a good life, but like what he sees out in the world just breaks him down. It's it's I think of um that's why I think of Seven when I think of this movie. Yeah, because actually. Because you think yeah. you see a lot of like uh of Kinderman in um uh, Morgan Freeman in Seven. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually sort of interesting. I was convinced that this had come out after Silence of the Lambs, Um, but actually, it came out before. Yeah, Um, this is 1990. Everything. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs is after this. This is there's a lot of Silence of the Lambs in this. There's a lot of Seven, a lot of Zodiac. uh, Yeah, you know, right down to this is uh, the killer is a Zodiac, Zodiac. uh, like analog. Yeah, Uh, and it just it seems like it prefigures a lot of those more stylized neo-noir serial killer movies that came in the late 90s and i think that's maybe why this one is overshadowed a bit it's you know stuck being an exorcist sequel so it gets compared to that and it's not as flashy as you know uh the serial killer stuff from the 90s and the early 2000s right yeah it's uh and i think that might be the biggest problem with it although it's interesting that it's an exorcist sequel but that kind of hampers it like you were saying yeah it's well it's like halloween 3 season of the witch you know (laughs) exactly yeah it's a better um, movie, but <laughs> if Season of the Witch was just Season of the Witch, it would probably be like, oh, that movie, remember that movie in the 80s? It's fun, you know, as opposed to being stuck as written off as the worst Halloween for the longest time. Right, exactly. And it's not. It's not. No, no. No, no. Halloween 5 and 6 and Resurrection and Kills are all out there. <laughs> Have you seen Halloween Ends yet? No, I haven't watched it yet. I've been waiting. And we're doing it. Should I reveal this? Is it a spoiler now? We've told we've told them, right? We've told yeah, yeah. People. We're doing yeah. next week is Halloween Ends. Right. Uh, so no, gonna... I haven't watched it yet. So. Yeah, I I watch it. I'll probably have to watch it again and like take notes. I I go back and I'm I'm I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, but it is. I will say this is the only two things I'm going to say to you, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Once you see the movie, one, it is a classic Halloween franchise backpedal, uh, like like a backpedal at at the end that because they can't commit to what they're doing. Of course, and and I admire the effort, but it does not earn that font. Oh, okay. you'll know what I'm talking about. All right, hmm. I admire the reference. It does not earn that font. <laughs> okay all right all right um yes but uh you know i don't want to completely glaze over exorcist 3 because this is probably the best horror movie we're watching this month uh, <laughs> yeah there's some great and like yeah it it does a really good job of like laying in the horror stuff slowly but surely while focusing yeah. on making it a procedural and all the expository stuff is given by brad duraf and done in such a theatrical like fantastical way yeah. that it it 
you know, helps you get through like what is kind of a, a crazy premise, the kind yeah. of premise that probably works best in explaining it in a book, book. as opposed yeah. to in a movie. Yeah, absolutely. With, especially if you're not showing it. Yeah, I mean, and, and had it shown any of the stuff that Brad Dourif talks about, I think this movie would be re- regarded as a cult item, but for the wrong, for for being so bad, it's good. You know? Well, look, also Brad Dourif already has a movie where he's a serial killer who dies and takes over someone else's body. It just happens to be a doll. <laughs> be a doll. He says child's play at one point. In he this. does. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I know what that is. <laughs> I like that Nicole Williamson shows up and is just like, I'm Nicole Williamson. Yep. Woo! <laughs> I'm Merlin. I'm Merlin. Or more importantly, I'm Spawn's friend. Spawn's uh, uh, training buddy, I guess. Caliostro. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, mo- the Spawn, the movie that made him decide he didn't want to make movies anymore. <laughs> That was the movie? There's a lot of that guy in the this movie, because Lee Richardson yeah. is that kind of character actor as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, Ed Flanders was on St. Elsewhere, I think. Oh, uh, right, Father right. Dyer. And, uh, you know, obviously George C. Scott has been around forever and yeah. has been in a bajillion things. And then Scott Wilson's in this, and he's great, yeah. too. I love he's the really scene. He's really good, yeah. I love that scene in The Office where you hear him, like, the patient you looked in on in, in, in Ward 3 there's something you should know about it. And you realize he's rehearsing, rehearsing the line it, and he's yeah. just like chain smoking and he's clearly like just lost his mind. His mind. Yep. He spent yeah. so long stubbing out that one cigarette on the <laughs> desk and George C. Scott is just sitting there like, okay, what's going on <laughs> what's with you? Going on, you? What's your deal? And the creepy nurse. Um, yeah. The nurse who's like, she's nice, but she's as she, by her own admission, she's a bitch. You yeah. Know? Yeah. She's, but like, you're also like, is she in on it? What is she? She's so, well, it, that's the thing. Everyone acts so strange and it's yeah. just because the whole movie has this off kilter tone. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also just like, I don't think like, like the detectives, every time he walks into the crime scene, the detectives are all standing there. Like they've just been like rocked to their core because yeah. they don't know how to handle what they're seeing. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like so upsetting. And then they just, the, all they can do is like shut down and talk about it in like the most clinical terms. Yeah. You know, without any like emotion. It's, and that's uh, played opposite. Also half the people in this hospital are like catatonic because yeah, yeah. old people in the, like the, the infirmed ward. And then it turns out they're the ones that are being possessed to commit these murders. Right. Cause they're easy to possess, which is yeah. also a really creepy idea. Yeah. And then the, you suddenly the, have them like crawling on the ceiling. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a fascinating movie. I don't think it entirely works, but it is a fascinating movie and a, a well worth watching because it's oh, really absolutely, it's cool. Yeah. I mean like it's just and and like I like the ideas and I like that for the most part all the characters don't feel like mouthpieces to like spouting philosophical ideas. They feel no. like real people. When no, talking, all the phil- any philosophical stuff is kind of reserved for either the banter between Kinderman and Dyer in the first act where it's yeah. you know a man of faith and a police officer kind of bouncing off each other uh, yeah. and then you have just sort of uh, George C. Scott's monologue at the end where he's like, uh, he acts like I do after 20 minutes on Twitter where it's, <laughs> I believe in hate I believe in evil I believe in cruelty and infidelity <laughs> I believe in you, you son of a bitch and that's all the reshoots, like that none of yeah. that was in the original and yeah. I think that's actually really important for his character That he, no, I agree. it's like, I he, agree. it comes off like he's like a man who doesn't believe in anything anymore but it's also, he can face all of this like he's yeah. not afraid of it i don't know maybe with the blumhouse remakes of of the exorcist maybe they'll try folding in kinderman as more of a character in those i mean I that wouldn't know. be the worst idea because no. uh re- revisiting reagan as the or the the mcneils as the main characters a you're never gonna surpass the original yeah and it's been done uh, without going into like heavy spoilers, they touch on them in the Exorcist TV show. And right, Does, and do they touch on any of this in the Exorcist TV show? Or no, I they only had two seasons, and right. I think it was more like these two new priests that are like original characters who are great. Um, uh, in the second season, it's not it's n- a new story that doesn't tie into anything oh. from like the Blatty novels or anything like that. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an uneven, choppy franchise. There's plenty you can do with it, but <laughs> yeah. I really just think it's, you're, you're, you're going to have to either, you, the TV show very wisely 
broke out of the shadow of the original movie as much as it could. Yeah. Uh, while sort of still touching on the same themes and also, like, putting it in the real world like the first movie does and right. the third movie does to an extent. Um, but yeah, it's as a part three, it's it's a great movie. Yeah. It's not it's it's not really a part three because it ignores part two. Everything much like uh, Halloween and a couple other uh, franchises we've talked about. Every sequel to The Exorcist is a failed attempt to jumpstart The Exorcist. It's right. like the Terminator. Right. Yeah. Well, and and every everyone's trying to. No one is jumping off of this movie. Everyone's trying to just recapture the original. Um, yeah. Whereas, and I don't think you have to necessarily try to recapture this movie specifically but kinderman's a great character to build your show off of yeah or or build a franchise oh, off yeah, of yeah. and and have that because i think what makes him interesting is that he is he's very much a secular it, he doesn't express it explicitly but he's definitely an atheist at yeah, least that's it, the impression it, i got in but another having, world there's like 10 kinderman novels like there are alex cross novels that right. vladdy wrote where he's the secular cop that encounters supernatural stuff it's like a yeah. he's a crusty old dana scully <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no i mean i think like that's a perfectly fine character to build a franchise off of and and perfectly fine character to explore sort of those themes of like faith you know Faith versus reason, good versus evil, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, I hadn't even yeah. thought about it till I just said it now. Um, there is a lot of this movie in the X Files too. Oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it's you know bureaucratic government stuff mixed with the supernatural, a lot of off kilter supporting characters, you know. And they they uh, you're more familiar with the X Files than I am, but they did do an Exorcist story didn't they i remember seeing ads as a kid they I did i'm sure sh- they definitely did possession stuff i mean yeah. it, it, that show ran forever i, I can it's <laughs> it's not like they're not episodes i can think of off the top of my head but i know they did them yeah because yeah. it that was back in the halcyon days where a show would get 10 seasons of 26 episodes <laughs> each and they'd have to figure out how to fill that time <laughs> mm, yeah because it wasn't all serialized right either. yeah you know, no that they, was just premiere mid-season and end and that was the most boring stuff on the x-files it's like we don't want to know about the alien invasion we want we want a humbug we want uh that one with the hillbillies (laughs) what a great time for like genre tv even though they didn't make a lot of it but the like stuff that they did it was always like fun and inventive and strange well and i think it was also because it wasn't the like x-files was kind of an anomaly in that it became hugely successful and it was a one of the first big hits for Fox, which was a new network at the time. Right. But in the 90s, genre stuff wasn't as popular. That's yeah. why, like, because they had the smart idea to put it on first-run syndication, Star Trek could kind of just do whatever it wanted for a long time. Yeah, now everything is, you know, there's there's so much at stake, not just with every movie, <laughs> but with, like, every episode of a show, because they also right. make less episodes. Well, but it, it, but what happens is it... it, it takes away a lot of the in the fun invention and like sort of the the feeling of some of those x-files episodes that like the inmates were running the asylum and just kind of were doing whatever they wanted yeah and and it now so much is like codified and and i I was watching a movie with mike and movies with mikey video about everything everywhere all at once and they referred to he refers to the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse as a lore burrito. Yeah, <laughs> and I think Every, that's like what everything is now. It's it's a it's a it's a visual wiki. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. like a fandom page. It's it's, yeah. and The Exorcist hasn't gotten to that point yet. It may never, <laughs> depending on how successful Blumhouse is with it. But yeah. uh, it's. Uh, yeah, as a franchise, it's incredibly disjointed. This isn't necessarily a great, like, part three as, like, a turning point for the franchise. This is just this is just the author coming back and doing a, a mostly successful job exploring themes that are touched upon in the first one in a way that sets it apart from the first movie as well. Right. As opposed they, to Exorcist yeah. 2, which is, like, watching paint dry, and the two <laughs> prequel movies, which are trying to just trade on The Exorcist. Right. Either handling it too thematically and super boring with Paul Schrader and not doing it as well as Friedkin and Blatty did, or just making the most blatant, like, Hollywood version of it with Rennie Harlan. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't see either of those, but it was so crazy to me at the time 
that a studio would release two different versions of the same movie. <laughs> well, they released, they shot Dominion, Paul Schrader's Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist. The studio reshot 95% right. of it with uh, uh, Rennie Harlan. That got released in theaters as Exorcist The Beginning. Right. Uh, that was a bomb. And then that was like one of the early, like, release the Snyder Cut campaigns right. <laughs> where the internet discovered, oh, there's this other version because they cut, like, a final version of it. And that got a home video release. But it's oh, okay. also still just not very good. Right. <laughs> like, it's it's just, it, there's nothing, they have nothing, Father Marin is not an interesting character to follow. Right. I mean, either you're following him as sort of like religious Indiana Jones or... Or you're watching him perform exorcisms. <laughs> well, it's it's everything that's set up about him in The Exorcist. Uh, a, he's Max von Sydow, and he's a badass, and we love him. And <laughs> everything that's implied about him is more interesting than anything you could ever show. Because they set up that he's like a world traveler, and he had this, this exorcism that nearly killed him. And right. all the worst Exorcist movies try to delve into that. Right. Exorcist 2 <laughs> does it as well. And it's yes. just, it's not an interesting angle. I think if you you have to come at the exorcist trying to find new ways to explore the themes, not just new ways to work an exorcism in. Right. I yeah, I completely agree. I think if you can't if you can't do that, and I think you need to have like we were saying, I think you need to have sort of that that push and pull of like the cynicism versus the faith of like the creatives behind the the first exorcist movie, you know? Well, that's the re- like think about it this way. The first movie is called The Exorcist, not The Exorcism. Yeah, it's about yeah. Father Karras and what he's going through. It's not about... The po- the possession is just the catalyst right. for his journey and for uh, uh, Chris McNeil's journey. And, and it's the same with the third movie. It's about Damien Karras and it's about Kinderman. It's not about the possession and the Gemini killer. Those are right. just... That's the plot, not the story. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it, it, here's the thing. This franchise has is not like Halloween where there have been, like, a dozen movies and they're all of incredibly mixed quality. <laughs> There's just not much of The Exorcist, so yeah, give it another shot. I wish the show had had more time to breathe. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm interested to see where they go with the sequels. I really hope it's not a legacy sequel. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, at least when it was initially announced, they were talking about getting Ellen Burstyn back. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Again, they, that's just the first season of the TV show. I don't want to go yeah. in. I, they did that already. Like, uh, I mean, uh, look, I, I feel like this makes me want to talk about the Terminator sequels. Well, I want to talk it, about like they have tried to like just jumpstart <laughs> the franchise post Terminator 2 over and over. And no one wants to admit that they did it right with their TV show that ran for two or three seasons. That's right. I mean, no, it's exactly the same thing. And, and it's uh, it's one of those things where. I think The Exorcist will eventually be like that, but with The Terminator, it's and we'll get to The Terminator because there's like four Terminator threes, right? There are. There's Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. There's Terminator Genesis, and there's Terminator Dark okay, Fate. Okay, so, so there we're are off three. the hook on Salvation because that's still <laughs> that's technically that, part that's four. the only one that acknowledges Terminator Three. <laughs> um, but it's it, each sequel acknowledges in some like takes parts of the previous one that is not part of the canon anymore. You know, so it's like. Terminator, uh, uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles takes the idea that Sarah Connor died of cancer and puts that as like a plot point in the show. And right. even though it's not part of Terminator Three, it's not really acknowledging Terminator Three. In Terminator Genesis, in Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, they travel forward in time. In Terminator Genesis, they travel forward in time. <laughs> well, it's, it's each moment like takes little bits and pieces of the other one. You, like, you want to talk about a franchise where you know every time they go into it, they have like these boxes they have to check. Like, yeah. we got to work in time travel. Yeah, we yeah. got to work in a liquid metal <laughs> monster. We got to work. Where, what's Arnold doing in this one? Yeah, exactly. You know? And yeah. I would say the best of the sequels, and this is a, this is, I'm saying this with the biggest grain of salt, is probably Terminator Salvation, which. Right. Did it yeah. broke away from all the most of that. It's got the least Arnold. It doesn't involve time travel. It just it it makes a critical error of focusing on a new, completely random, boring character. But do you know what the original ending for Terminator Salvation was going to be? Do you remember? You listened to oh, that I know. news podcast. Yeah. You want to talk about skin being peeled off? <laughs> <laughs> I 
remember reading that. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, fuck off. What is this? <laughs> what is this by you? For, for, for those who don't know, the ending of Terminator Salvation was originally going to be that John Connor was going to die, but then his memories, were he was going to be implanted in a machine, right? What was the... the... They were going to put his conscious in Sam Worthington's character's body and then put Christian Bale's skin on the Sam Worthington Terminator body. Right. And that just, I don't know. I guess it's like, <laughs> oh no, John Connor's a machine now. Whatever will we do? Which they also then did, they also did in Terminator did Genesis. Genesis. <laughs> okay, See, yeah, like, look, we're going to get like... to that one, but we're just waiting because that's one where we got to watch three movies in a week. And we're, Yeah, it's, that's, that's going to be a, a big... Uh commitment maybe that's just maybe that's the end of uh, uh 2022 for us yeah is the, yeah is the terminator movies i don't know <laughs> judgment day <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so next week we're gonna wrap up i think it's gonna drop on halloween day night monday the 31st uh we're gonna watch <laughs> halloween ends uh halloween three slash four slash uh 12 maybe <laughs> <laughs> something like that it's an interesting movie it's I would say it's better than Halloween Kills, well, that's but good. it still is like an incredibly flawed movie. And I, I have my thoughts on how I think they could have made this trilogy of movies work, but uh, I, I'm interested to see what you think. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, the, the internet uh, reaction has been divisive as the internet yeah. tends to yeah. be. It's, so it's a, it's a, let me put it this way. It has last Jedi qualities to it. No. All right. All yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> we did our Star Wars. We did oh, that. We God, talked we about it. We did it. It's done. Oh, uh, <laughs> speaking of Star Wars, though, uh, this and Return of the Jedi, two of Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite movies. Exorcist 3 and Return yeah. of the Jedi? Wow. Yeah. He uh, he would show Exorcist three. He would have like he had a VHS copy of it and he would have it playing in his apartment when he would bring his victims up there. Jesus. He was apparently obsessed with um, the Emperor's eyes and the exorcism, like the possessed eyes, and he had contact lenses. He just really liked that look. Uh, so, well, that's 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 unsettling and creepy. And you've learned something new today. But uh, Will, as always, uh, I'm glad I'm glad you got to see this movie because it's a uh, it's another it's another like little lost classic. And, yeah, uh, it's been on my list forever, and and I'm I'm really glad I wa- like I I think it is absolutely worth watching. I think it's it's kind of messy, but I think it's it's it doesn't feel boring at all, and it's no. uh, and it's really the acting's so good. Yeah, um, fantastic you know. performances. It's a it's a it's a great. If you haven't seen it, it's streaming now, so check it out. It's a good Halloween watch. Yep. And uh, we will see you all next week for Halloween ends. Uh, Does evil die tonight, Sam? Is evil going to die tonight? I, that will be a spoiler for me to answer that question. <laughs> uh, evil never dies, Will. It just changes shape. Ooh. Ooh. All right, folks. As always, I am Sam and he is Will. I am Will. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Did you, you spotted Fabio, right? Yes, I spotted Fabio. That was wild. <laughs>